Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Action. All right, all right, all right. Uh, before we begin, yes. I just wanted to treat you to this. Oh. Mm. The crack Sierra of a Nevada can snack. is flowing. What you got I there see today? you have one as well. Dude, I'm, I'm going with Old Faithful, the big little thing. That's my kickoff drink on these episodes. That's what I have as well. But again, again, I need to stock up. All of our listeners, make your way down to your local beer distributor or local Acme. If you are a Pennsylvania resident, and pick yourself up some Sierra Nevada. Mike and I are on a Pennsylvania high right now. We are. We are. Um, we we don't uh, we don't talk politics much here, but I just got to say, I'm excited that John Fetterman is uh, in federal government because I think it's about time that we have some more nerdy music weirdos in government. There aren't a lot of them. Uh, he literally has a nine inch nails tattoo, so. I feel like he uh, is a pretty fun guy, and I think he'd be a great guest on the pod. I'd love to have him on. Yeah, we're putting that out in the... uh... Talk about some weird new metal song or some random punk hit. I love to see quirky people get to uh, positions of power. I think it's it's fun. It feels, feels nice. feels real. Well, that's a perfect segue into the song that we are talking about tonight, because you mentioned the words nerdy and quirky. And I have oh. I have a nerdy, quirky artist for you. It's not Moby? No. And honestly, I have no Moby <laughs> in my notes. So I'm thankful that you brought him up just so we could continue <laughs> the trend. 30 episodes in, every single one has a Moby <laughs> mentioned. Uh, but uh, as you mentioned, we just had Election Day. We also just had the New York Marathon this past weekend here in the city. And in my opinion, it is one of the best days in the year of the year to be in new york it is just the energy did you hear chariots of fire yeah i did not but i'm sure it was playing somewhere (laughs) uh the weather was perfect uh it was probably a little hot for the runners but for us spectators who were uh outside of turkey's nest drinking sierra nevadas and heavy poured margaritas uh, it was one of the perfect marathon days in the city Uh, anyway I say all this because we were watching the marathon and I saw an older lady running the race, like 60s old. Uh, and I right thought, on. I thought if she can do it, we can do this. You know, I turned to my buddy and said, yeah, we, we can do that. Look, at her. she's doing it. She ran past us. And on the back of her shirt, it said that she was running her hundredth marathon. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hundredth marathon. And she's still alive. She's still alive. <laughs> and because I'm drunk at the time. And I'm not very good at math normally. I turned to my buddy and I said, holy shit, that's like 500 miles. And I immediately started singing. Uh, All right. The Proclaimers. 
it's you know it was only a matter of time i was gonna go with like oh yeah i was gonna go with a weird uh uh you know more obscure song this week but i felt like you know what let's pull out one of the songs that people have requested many times and you've had had requests for this one yeah yeah there's a couple songs that that just come up we've talked about it that when we talk about the podcast people say oh have you done this one and it did come up a couple times during marathon day just because you know the obvious people are running a lot of miles and the song references a lot of miles so you said it uh do you have do you have thoughts on the the song on the the proclaimers Uh, great song uh pub pub classic yep um I it would have been funny if you did this one two weeks ago or two sorry two episodes ago because the Vandaliers do an excellent cover of this song and they they close their shows with it. You know, uh, I found a list. We'll get to the covers uh, down the road here, but I found a list online of all the people that have covered this song and the Vandaliers were the last ones on yeah, the uh, so on the list. So they they closed out the list and most recent. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're going back to Scotland. Identical twins, Craig and Charlie Reed, were born March 5th, 1962 in Leith, which is a part of Edinburgh, Scotland. Matter of fact, in 2021, Time Out magazine ranked Leith as the fourth coolest neighborhood in the world, saying this North Edinburgh neighborhood is best known as a cultural melting pot, home to big arts institutions like the once abandoned Leith Theater alongside up-and-coming spots like the Biscuit Factory, with its performance space and workspace for more than 30 creative businesses. That they, sounds very fun. Yeah. Born in a cool town. Uh, we'll come back to Leith eventually. But the twins seem to have moved around a little bit uh, in their younger years, and they spent their formative years in, uh, here we go, Octermakti, which is in Fife. It's not far from St. Andrews. Uh, which I believe okay. was uh, was it a Chariots of Fire that filmed St. Andrews, that video? Yeah, yeah yep. so. Yeah. Um, working class town, not very far from from Leith and, and Edinburgh as well. Um, apparently it means Tale of the Boar, Octor Mukti. Uh, that's okay. according to Charlie when he was being interviewed by David Letterman on The Late Show. That's pretty close to him saying it means a whale's. <laughs> it's not, not too far off, no. Uh, we've got the got the ingredients. So they they grew up as punk rock fans. Uh, Craig Reed once told Esquire that he loved punk rock acts such as The Clash, The Jam, Sex Pistols, as well as all the mid '60s stuff: The Rolling Stones, Beatles, the and The Kinks. I should not know if I'm familiar with The Jam. Oh, The Jam is so. Would I know a song or just? Uh... Oh, one of my favorite is uh, That's Entertainment. That's a great song. You definitely know a Town Called Malice and Going Underground. It's a big hits. Uh, Paul, you know Paul Weller? He's like a yeah. big rock songwriter. Yeah. Uh, he was the front man. Okay. Oh, there you go. Uh, recommend diving in tomorrow on okay. travels. So the two brothers started playing music when Craig got a beat-up drum kit and Charlie got a guitar. Before becoming the Proclaimers, they were in a few bands, including the Hippie Hasslers, <laughs> Reasons for Emotion, and Black Flag. Uh, the last one. Yeah. I have questions. <laughs> yeah, do you? <laughs> uh, not that black flag. Scottish black flag. Uh, well, in an interview with uh, NME, Craig said, we had never heard of the American black flag. It wasn't, or uh, yeah, it, we, the band, wasn't as heavy as they were. 
I'd suggest it was maybe a bit more interesting, even though we couldn't play <laughs> and we weren't very good, but we were a little more varied than the American Black Flag. And Charlie followed up. We never ran into Henry L- Rollins or any of the Black Flag, so I don't think they knew about it, but he's quite a formable character, yeah. and we're certainly not going to pretend that our Black Flag should have been more successful than his one. <laughs> I have read nothing and watched nothing and listened to nothing in the last day or two um, that makes the Proclaimers seem like they aren't the nicest people in the absolute world <laughs> and the most like self-aggrandizing, so I'm sure Henry Rollins and anyone can get along with these twins here. Yeah. Uh, I can hear the the punk rock. I mean, I only really know the song. I think maybe I know some other songs, but I you can. It sounds like a punk song. I mean, really, it's yeah. polished and it's it's got uh, it's kind of got that everyman pub rock quality. But like, if you think about like the chorus and the way they sing it and the gang vocals, I mean, it's it's pretty much a punk song. Yeah, I never thought of this song as a punk song until listening to it today yeah. and the past couple days and absolutely 100% agree with you um you do know one other song by them at least but uh we'll get to okay. that uh almost every like a lot of their back catalog that i listen to uh very punk very punk rock right on uh and we'll kind of get into ways that they are punk rock in their own in their own little way they ways have a great well, punk so. rock name the proclaimers that's, they do that's great. and that, that was chosen on purpose uh, there's a great bbc documentary that i am I'm pulling a lot of my information from and there's a lot of great interviews and, and and folks in that that i will that will quote from here nice uh the interview is uh, hosted or the documentary is hosted by scottish actor david tennant oh who love i'm david a big tennant. fan of from yeah oh, i gotta watch uh, many might know he is the latest doctor who mm-hmm. uh, many may not know that he's a big proclaimers fan love it in 1983 the twins decided to try their hat as an acoustic duo after playing a couple bands and that is when they officially formed the proclaimers it took them some time to come up with the name, as we just talked about. Uh, they said that they wanted a strong name, a very punk rock name. Uh, and they took a, in a lot of interviews, they talked about how they take a lot of pride in singing in their Scottish accents. Uh, when so many other bands at the time from Scotland were trying to hide their accents. So they initially thought about calling themselves the Scottish Proclaimers. <laughs> but then realized because of the fact that they sang in their Scottish accents, it was pretty fucking obvious they were Scottish. Yeah, so that's they redundant. Decided, since the twins were very much a part of the music scene already, they had formed some helpful friendships, including close friends uh, Kevin Rowland, who is part of Dexie's Midnight Runners. Oh, yeah. And we will eventually talk about I'm the sure Midnight Runners. I'm sure we'll talk about Come On Eileen. Uh, Come On Eileen, exactly. Another great song. It was Kevin who was integral in helping them record their first demo. Uh, that demo made its way to Paul Heaton, Paul Heaton was a member of the House Martins, who I was not familiar with. Oh, the House Martins are great. You know them? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, yeah, I did not know that. But I not, love. Let's not forget I that I, I DJ'd a uh, rip hop night for uh, a number of years in Chicago. And that is very true. Uh, I uh, I knew Caravan of Love before that, but I got more into them through doing that night. Um, they're like a poppy, happy Smith. Yeah, they kind of are, and and they're not technically Brit pop because they're a little early, but like their hits sound like what was happening in the early '90s, you know, British rock. Definitely. They were they're kind of a precursor, I feel like. Yeah. So apparently, they had strong beliefs uh, that were a mixture of socialist politics and Christianity. Oh. 
the back cover of one of their albums says, take Jesus, take Marx, take hope. Wow. And we're talking they, about Paul. They like Paul Christ and they like too. Carl too, you know? <laughs> Strange mix, but I'm, I'm here for it. It kind of makes sense, actually, because uh, Jesus was definitely a socialist. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah the okay. car- the Caravan of Love video is takes place in a church. Hmm. There you go. So we're talking about Paul, Paul Heaton from that band. Um, again, I was not familiar with the band. So for fans of the show out there who aren't familiar with the band mm-hmm. either, uh, there's another guy in the House Martins named Norman Paul, who will later be known as Fatboy Slim. Oh. Which I thought was super He's interesting. He's come up a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to do episodes. Oh, uh, there's, I have one in mind for him for sure. So the House Martins would receive a ton of demos from other local bands in, in UK. And they said that they had a habit of playing the demos in their van as they toured. That's great. And like, Love yeah. That. And like many who heard the band, the Proclaimers in the early years, Paul was struck by how unique they were with their prominent Scottish accents and melodies that weren't trying to sound like anything else at the time. So the House Martins invited the Proclaimers down to a party one Friday night to see if they would get along with each other. Uh, apparently they did. It all worked out because House Martins would bring the Proclaimers on tour with them in 1986. And it was Paul who would help the Proclaimers get in touch with producer John Williams, not the <laughs> cinematic genius John Williams, but the UK producer John Williams, uh, and also the British label Chrysalis. And that label would fly the band down for an in-office showcase, which led to the signing of the band. So that's how we get the claimers on the label here. It was because of that relationship with the label that they performed on TV for the first time on a Channel 4 show called Live on the Tube. Host Paula Yates introduced them saying... And now for something totally weird and unusual. Love that. Which is awesome. Sounds sounds like Monty Python. To our yeah, exactly. To our nerdy comments earlier, uh, a lot of people in the documentary talked about how uh, how different Craig and Charlie looked at the time, how nerdy they were. Uh, it was at the height of you know British glam rock, and and everyone was trying to be something that they weren't. And so these guys, one uh, one first person in the, the documentary said. These guys would get on stage looking like your dad and then and then sing like the clash, which I kind of love. Uh, so they had this like rebellious streak by being like very run of the mill and not being like a, a, a you know, leather wearing type of punk rocker. So kind of punk in their own way, if you will. They would go on to record their first album. This is the story, which fe- featured their first UK hit, Letters from America. Are you familiar with this song? I don't know. I might hear I was not, and it's kind of a goofy song. It's different than Five and a Half, so. I don't know it, but I love the way it sounds. Yeah, it's neat. It has like a very, like, maybe because it's way to say America, but a very Simon Garfunkel esque vibe. Yeah, these guys have great voices. They really do. And they're super unique. Yeah. And they have the, the blood harmony, like the Lubin brothers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. So, because of their uh, time on Channel 4, this song became a, an instant hit in, in UK. Uh, Letter from America is a pretty political song, and it's uh, essentially about all the Scots emigrating to America and to mm-hmm. uh, the US and to Canada 
in search of a better life uh, and then you know letters coming back uh the boys mentioned that it's basically rage that was going on both of us were disgusted by the callous way unemployment was used to break organized labor to break the spell of people he continued that rage can be good for songwriting saying if you can channel rage and it doesn't feel like you're lecturing them or boring them then it's good this was like a very rage induced that's but yeah. yet beautiful song i love that dichotomy yeah like such a it, i mean it's a it's a pretty uh it's a pretty song yeah it's uh, and yet out of anger so riding off the success of the album this is a story which would go on to go gold in the uk the band released their second album sunshine and leaf Call back to leaf there uh and they would release this album in 1988 and the leadoff song was i'm gonna be in parentheses 500 miles i've heard of it yeah the album was a uh, particularly big hit in australia uh, being that year's 12th biggest seller, reaching number two and attaining two-time multi-platinum certification by the ARIA. So Rolling Stone lauded the album a wonderfully guileless treasure of an album. Uh, the band would go on to play Glastonbury that year. Uh, but, wow. so this is all happening in 89, uh, 88, 89. This song would not become a hit in America for another four years. I was hoping we would talk about this because I don't know I don't know why this happened. Well, but. there is a very obvious reason. It wasn't until 1993 that we'd be blessed with this track, and it's all thanks to being featured in a movie, Benny and June, starring Johnny Depp and Mary Stewart Masterson. I don't think I've ever seen this movie. I was not familiar with the movie at all. I'm going to send you. The trailers you can get a, a, a little taste of it here. I, so I knew this song was a hit in the '90s, but I knew also knew it didn't come out in the '90s, and I just never, I never was aware. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I lost. Well, it's in the pot. A cousin. I am not taking this guy home. Who, Oliver Platt? But the film, apparently best known for Depp's humorous physical comedy routines, which are based on silent film comic Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, and Harold Lloyd. He's kind of dressed like Charlie Chaplin. Right, so it's kind of playing off that. Um, I read that from the first paragraph of the film's Wikipedia, which follows up saying that this movie is also known for making I'm Gonna Be a Hit in the States. So clearly this song, or this movie's legacy, is just really the fact that they made this song popular. I feel like it was bold to use this song in a movie trailer. Which one? The In Your Eyes? Or yeah. Five of Mouth? Yeah, I guess so. In Your Eyes is one of the most beautiful songs of all time. So. I love it! Definitely one of those trailers where they show the entire movie, the whole plot, the whole thing. Yeah, I know. You don't even need to see now. the movie. You definitely do not. So yeah, it was all because of that movie. Um, I could not find out why or who put in the film or what the connection was, but um, you know, it, it made enough of an impact where huh. the song became a major hit. How big was this movie? So the, like... the movie was a minor hit. It got positive reviews. Uh, it was oddly enough credited with bringing back the date night during a time that was rife with action films. So had that okay. going for it. Uh, I'm gonna be. I, I, keep, I keep wanting to say 500 miles. I'm going to be 500 miles. 
was nominated for an MTV the movie. The song is award. called I'm going to be parentheses 500 miles. Correct. Correct. Okay. But yeah, you know, 500 miles. Uh, so it was nominated for an MTV movie award for the best song in a movie that year. But really? it did not win. Do you have a guess of what it might have lost to? Talking 1993. 1993. What do we have come out in 93? Jurassic Park. There were two uh, massive songs from massive movies that were nominated. It was. So two massive hits. Like I said, the winner with Michael Jackson's Will You Be There from Free Willy. Oh, wow. Big song. Huge. Big movie. Huge. Yeah. Loved that one. Another song that year that was nominated was Philadelphia from the film by the same name by Bruce Oh, my God. Yeah. And. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that one. Actually, a third one. This was pretty big, too. uh, When I Fall in Love by Celine Dion from Sleepless in Seattle. Yep. And rounding out the nominees uh, was Can't Help Fall in Love by UB40. The Elvis cover. What movie was that in? Silver. Silver. What the hell movie is that? I don't remember that movie. Hey, we do have a few rom-coms in the mix here. The Date Night is back in 93. The Date Night is back. Well, this is an erotic thriller, so... But yeah, Sleep well, in Seattle. I was, I was thinking, yeah, yeah. And Free Willy. I'm gonna send Free you. Willy. About a boy and his whale. I'm going to send you the Silver Trail just <laughs> for our own enjoyment. Controversial at the time. Probably more so now. I like this. We're doing like what the charts, what we do with the charts, we're doing with movies. Yeah. I'm loving this. This is like a is that Hitchcock Stone? rear window. Yeah. It actually is hit rear window, isn't it? Oh, it's Sliver, not Silver. Oh. <laughs> I've heard of Sliv- Sliver before. Okay. Well, it's probably it a good was. time to talk about uh dyslexia dyslexia awareness week <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm familiar with this movie but i've never seen it that's great honestly it. this might be on the halloween list for next year and it's got some ub40 in it it's got ub40 <laughs> can't fall in love from the movie sliver liver not silver um uh, so the song was the song well, you know we're going back we're going back to uh Gonna be five hundred miles. This song was an even unexpected hit, or unexpected global hit, I should say, for the band. They knew that it would be popular in the UK. They knew it would be the lead single from their album, but I don't think they had any idea. They're on a label at this. Oh, they're on Christmas. Christmas year, so yeah. Okay. I don't think they had any idea how big the song would ever get. Uh, Craig talked about creating the song in the BBC documentary in 1988. We were sitting in a flat in Edinburgh waiting to go up and play a gig in Aberdeen. We had an hour to kill before our lift, so I started playing some chords on the electric piano. I'm Gonna Be came straight away. I had the tune and lyrics in 45 minutes flat. In another interview in The Guardian, Craig also said, right from the start, we knew it was catchy, but when we started playing it live, the reaction was tremendous. People make all sorts of interpretations of the lyrics, especially the supposed religious significance of 500 Miles, but it's just a love song. I stuck the Scottish word havering in there because that's just what I'd say. It meant talking nonsense, but an American one, an American DJ thought we were singing about vomiting. So there's that. <laughs> hey, if you walked 500 miles, you'd probably vomit too. Yeah. I also read that some American DJs thought that havering was like a sexual phrase. So they were Ooh. also 
hesitant to play the song for that reason. Uh, what's the religious context? So I think similar to the House Martins, that while the Proclaimers are not a Christian band, they don't hide their beliefs in God. So I mean, they're they're Scottish. Yeah. Well, so people think that they're like, a, um, you know, that there's some like religious undertones. I'm sure some like a lot of their songs are very political and are very, um, you know, uh, social so in nature. So the, uh, sure there is maybe some of that. Um, but I think it's also like, you know, like a lot of these like singer songers or like Christian songs, you're like, is that a love song? Or is that about Jesus? And I think right. that the idea of like a, a true uh, love song about right. do anything for you could be interpreted yeah. as like a Jesus thing. There might be like a 500 mile connection. That's what I was wondering. Is there like a, some biblical story where... It's 500 miles or something like that. I know that um, there's a song, an old, like, I don't think it's a gospel song. It's more of a folk song called 500 Miles that hmm. is, has been sung by, you know, countless people. Um, and, but right. that's about, like, not going home. Um, huh. So. Could be could be a connection. I don't know. Could be. I, re- I did read from, again, the band's very political. So I read some. You know, for lack of better term, redditors commenter commentary that um, they thought the song might be in reference to the fact that Edinburgh and London are five hundred miles away, and it's, it's it's a love song to Scotland. And it's about huh. Scotland independence, but that was just one person. So I don't. There was no. Real I like way. that. Yeah, That's sure. Cool. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Yeah. Uh, Craig talked to the song that I never set out to write song with universal appeal, but it does mention working, drunkenness, and traveling. So pretty much everyone can relate. <laughs> I love all those things too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now it's time to watch the video. So let's, uh, yeah, let's jump on in here. I did not remember this video at all. I don't know that. I, I definitely, I have a, I have a pretty vivid memory of it. Well, it features a lot of clips from the movie. So was there not a music video till the movie was made or came out? Well, that's a great question, Mike. This is the only one I found. Other than huh. the live one, so... There's a more innocent Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, seeing this video, like, on TV, and seeing these two dudes singing this song, hell yeah. <laughs> That's I great. Mean, they got this, like, Buddy Holly look to them. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so different. And I don't think they meant to be cool. <laughs> That's the best part. No, that's what makes it cool. I mean, that's probably, and I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, on another episode, but that's probably when people first saw the video for Buddy Holly, they saw Weezer. They're like, who are these dorks? Oh, they definitely. sound great. Definitely. <laughs> so yeah, the video is pretty much just uh, clips in the movie and them singing in front of like a green screen type situation. I- yeah, where the, the, movie's, the movie's the background, which... Uh, a Very lot of 90s. other videos, they would they would just yeah, but they would just because there were so many songs that had music videos where they had clips of the movie. It was a big big marketing push for the film. Yeah, and they would just splice them in. They wouldn't interact with it at all. So I, I like their creativity here. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's, it's good. I mean, they owe everything to this movie. So a good good give back, you know. Right. Uh, I couldn't find anything about the video other than I, I found one site that said it was directed by Joel Provost. Uh, but then all I could find of Joel Provost was a 
Instagram for like a 21 year old. So I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if it is true or not. Um, but yeah, that, you know, that's I think it. you find it. You found a time traveler. Uh, perhaps. Yeah. We have questions for him. Perhaps. So let's go to charts. Uh, as I mentioned in 1989, the song would go number one in Australia and New Zealand. I think in Iceland as well. Uh, we already know the song wouldn't hit big in the U.S. until 1993. Did it chart at all the first time here? No. Okay. Well, I don't believe so. Was it even released here? No. I don't think it was. Wow. Yeah. So this movie, they wanted to sync the song, and then they had to release it. Yeah. Huh. Damn, this music supervisor was doing their job. They found some Oof. shit that wasn't even released here yet. For real. So 93, how high do you think this song went? 93 is a stacked year in pop music. So I don't think it went number one. I'm going to go like 10. Okay. Okay. Uh, It would go number three. Ooh. And all thanks to Benny and June. Interestingly enough, the, the movie was released in April 16th. 93 but the song wouldn't show up in the charts for weeks and it wouldn't peak right. until august 21st wow yeah a long road you know it was number one can't help falling in love by ub40 oh my god <laughs> number that song went number one it was there for a long time too jesus uh number two so Ugh. number two blows my mind for only one reason. Well, for many reasons, maybe. But uh, number two was Tag Team. Mm. There it is. I did not know that there was an MP. I thought it was like, whoop, there it is. It is whoop. There it is. Whoop. Number four, Slam by Onyx. Oh, uh, that got to number four? With a bullet, too. I don't know if Whoa. it ever goes higher. Fantastic song. Uh, number five, Lately by Jodeshi. Jodeci? Jodeci. I wasn't yeah. familiar. Should I be familiar? Uh, yeah, it's Casey and JoJo's boy band. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. I love Casey and JoJo. Uh, I didn't what know song is it? Lately. Uh, it's not Freak. You know Freak, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or Freakin' You. I guess it's actually called Freakin' You. Yeah, Casey and JoJo, uh, Jodeci was very horny. Casey and JoJo was very romantic. Okay, that's fair. Maybe that's maybe that's why the group broke up. Some of them were like, "We're gonna make sexy, explicit songs," and that. Casey and JoJo were like, "We want to talk about love and marriage and stuff." <laughs> uh, in a similar vein, the next song was "Weak" by SWV. Oh yeah, I was not familiar, but R and B with the band of the song. But I don't think so. Oh, SWV had a couple hits. Did they? See, you're better with yeah. the R&B stuff than I am. Uh, rain? you got to know Rain. Okay, I do know Rain, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number seven, If I Had No Loot by Tony, Tony, Tone. Ah. I don't know if I feel this one either. This is a week. This is a, what, a, what a week. Do you know the songs? I think it's Tony, 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 right? Like the E has like a little, little accent. Oh, yeah, it. you're right. Oh, I know the song. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, they they had a number of hits. Number eight. Finally, get some rock back in here. 
Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. Dude, it's, uh, it's on my list because the story of that song is fucking crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. And the the things that happened after they put out the song were crazy. It's a really a lot going on. Interesting. Yeah. All right, well, we'll come back to that. Number nine, mm-hmm. Dream Lover, Mariah Carey. And number oh, 10, yeah. If by your girl Janet Jackson. Oh, If is so good. And actually, I feel like if probably didn't chart in the top five. Uh, but the reason I say that is because I feel like it's such an underrated Janet song. I feel like nobody thinks of that one. You don't hear it at karaoke. You don't hear it much, but it's such a good song. You do not. And it, on this list, it's number 10 with a with a neutral bullet, if you will. So probably uh, that's where it peaked. Park too much. It might not go a little higher, but yep. probably not. So that was the U.S. Uh, do you know how high it went in the UK in number 1989? One. Number one. Okay. It did not. It went to number 11. Whoa. But. Did it chart again? It will go number one in 2007. Uh... We, we will get there. We will <laughs> okay, get there. Okay. So, great. Can't wait. Uh, after. The so this has been an unlikely five, hit three times. It's all over the place. So <laughs> after the success of 500 Miles in the U.S., that that would lead them to play at least some shows with Bon Jovi and the 10,000 Maniacs. I think they did a couple different iterations of tours here in the States. Wait, those three bands uh, together? At least once at, at Massacre Garden. I think they might have toured. One of those bit. things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. All right. Bon Jovi's got that power, I think. Yeah. Uh, they would go on to release an EP. And another album in the early 90s. Some minor hits in the UK and throughout Europe and Australia. Uh, in another movie reference, they recorded a cover of the Temptation song Get Ready for Dumb and Dumber. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which yep. you, you definitely recognize that. I do. If you don't. Yeah. I forgot to hear from the that they had it pulled up. Great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Which, uh, second time we've mentioned that soundtrack because uh, Crash Test Dummies and all that. That's right. Yeah. So the band would lay low through the rest of the 90s after releasing that album uh, to focus on family. Oh. And just kind of chill. That's kind of cool. A couple of nice blokes. Absolutely. They would return in 2001 with their first album in seven years, which would have them tour North America with the Bare Naked Ladies. I could see that. And yeah, the Bare Naked Ladies actually cite the Proclaimers as inspiration uh, for their band. That makes sense. Charlie commented that, quote, they probably thought if they can get away with looking and sounding that awkward, we can do it as well. <laughs> yeah. We definitely feel a kinship with them. That's pretty good. That totally makes sense. The Bare Ladies, I think, are even more nerdy. Yeah, probably so. But, you know, the, the Proclaimers walked so the Bare Ladies could run. And Weezer. They walked 500 uh, so miles so they could run. Exactly. Exactly. So the next year... uh they would release a greatest hits album that would be certified platinum in the UK. Damn. And, but that but that wasn't when it went number 1. They would release another two albums between then and 2007 and then Like can I get another beer before we uh get into this part? Yeah. Okay. All right. Got another Sierra Nevada here. Uh I did want to mention though Ooh. uh last week I don't think we've really talked about our friends at Dark Matter Coffee in this context, but I made a killer espresso martini 
with mm. some of the coffee that they sent us. Uh, one of the blends was actually an espresso blend, and I had some friends visiting, and we needed a little pick-me-up, so uh made an espresso martini uh, with the dark matter, and it was fantastic. So uh, if you also want to make an espresso martini with some dark matter coffee, you can get beans shipped to your door without any shipping fee if you enter wanted a hit cast that's wanted a hit cast one word at darkmattercoffee.com uh, i highly recommend it you just need a little uh, vodka and simple syrup and if you have it some kalua good to go love that you know we should also mention uh while we're on the topic we are good friends from quinton's hot mustard sent us a package of that's right mustard as well yes so if y'all want after maybe before you drink your special martini <laughs> maybe you're having a pretzel maybe you want some hot mustard <laughs> on that pretzel this stuff is banging uh yes quentin's is is great it's uh it's not super spicy but it has a nice kick i think most people could enjoy it but our buddy grows uh carolina reapers uh in himself in nashville tennessee and makes a hot mustard sauce. It's now being covered in all kinds of culinary magazines. Uh, it's at restaurants. It's uh, it's at little independent markets in various cities. Uh, super stoked for them. And it's really, really good stuff. This is like my sixth or seventh bottle. So. so it was in 2007 that the Proclaimers would re-record 500 Miles for Comic Relief, which is an annual British oh, yeah. charity. It began in 1985. It's a huge charity. Uh, it began in 1985 to raise money for the famine in Ethiopia, uh, and now it supports uh, a lot of different children's uh, charities, I believe. It's also where Red Nose Day comes from, uh-huh. or spun off from, which I think is huge in the UK and, and Europe. Um, it's slowly coming to America as well. I've seen some celebrities kind of getting in there once a year as well. So in 2007, it was hosted by comedians Peter Kay and Matt Lucas, who were quite famous at the time in the UK and Europe. Maybe I still are. Uh, I don't live over there. They would uh, they would sing a song with the boys as their own characters, Brian Porter from Phoenix Night and Andy Pipkin from Little Britain, respectively. I'm familiar with Little Britain. So uh, the song is called I Would Roll 500 Miles. So it's a slightly different tune. Got it. Uh, but, but this one... The video opens up with the, the comedians singing the song. And if you uh, fast in a little bit, you'll see uh, the proclaimers do come out and perform as well. And they're performing in front of a crowd of just mega celebrities. Uh, really, everyone you can remotely think of that is a celebrity in the UK yeah. is in this video. Bob the Builder. Unfortunately, unfortunately for, uh, for the proclaimers, they recorded their portion the day before and uh, then they filmed all the celebrities separately so they didn't get to meet or play in front of any people pretty fun little ditty uh like i said this one is the one that would go number one in the uk finally uh and it raised over a million pounds for charity so this, so. this version of it we love that yeah they uh they did it is the um i'm gonna roll is in or i think actually on the chart it might be i'm gonna be it's in um it's in parentheses, and then 500 miles is not in parentheses. So that is the other difference as well. Got it. That's what made it even bigger. Just move the parentheses. Everyone's like, oh, I know that song. Uh-huh. Hey, man. 
sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a little thing. Uh, uh, there are countless covers of this song. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, we I looked through a list of, of all the covers, and there are tons of bands that I do not recognize that covered the song in studio, and then there are countless others that have done it live. Uh, as we mentioned, the Vandaliers cover the song. Yes, um, Corey, our buddy. Have they recorded it? The they might have. Yeah, they released it as a single. Um, I I worked that single. Because <laughs> oh, nice. uh, they were on the, the last label I worked for. Um, I think that was the last thing I worked on. With uh, it's a great, oh, it's a great cover. They did it at uh, Modern Electric Sound, which is a, a wonderful studio in Dallas. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's become kind of a live calling card. They're very, it's great. It's, it's, it's really fun. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know they did it on, very, on record, so I got to check it out. Great punk rock. Uh, it's got a little bit of their twang, but it's it's pretty much like a revved up punk version. And then it has trumpet from our man Corey Graves, who yeah, talked about uh, Cotton Eye Joe with uh, a couple weeks ago. Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah. Well, speaking of punk rock, there's also MXPX has recorded version. That version's really popular, right? It is. Yeah, that's like isn't that like one of their biggest songs? Is it? I think it is. I think it's like become like bigger than their original song. I'm, I'm gonna do a, a quick look on uh, Spotify to see if it shows up in their top. I was I was a massive MXPX fan as a back in the day. Just like MXPX, Susan Boyle has a cover. Uh, one notable cover is by a band that I love, Sleeping At Last. Oh, of course they, oh yeah they do this featured it's in a commercial right it's in it's in a Budweiser Super Bowl commercial yeah that's what I thought featuring the uh, Clyde Dit, Clydesdales and a very cute looking puppy yeah I remember this you know all the the little ingredients that you make a great Budweiser commercial with the song is super prominent it, 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 the commercial is the song yeah. essentially this uh, I remember if, as soon as I heard it I was like oh it's to be the last yeah, uh, the second time they come th- up. I think this song, it is this song. I think really helped Ryan blow up. Yeah, that last really blow up. Uh, it was huge. Uh, the Killers covered it at Falkirk Stadium. Uh, I know this because in the interview with uh, with the band, Charlie said it's become a tradition now for American and English acts coming to Scotland to cover the song. It's done quite regularly, and Craig That's followed cool. up. I like that. It is, but it's funny because Craig followed up and said, you see something on PRS, the royalty statement, and think, we've never fucking played it there, and then realize, <laughs> ah, no, somebody else did. We're happy for anybody to sing it, <laughs> which I love. We didn't, That's awesome. We didn't play that there. It was a Mormon band from Vegas. It was also parodied on SNL. I did not know. I don't think uh, I knew that. It's a really quick little oh, clip. Dude. Mike Myers and Norm McDonald. R.I.P. Norm. One of my faves. R.I.P. Norm. Uh, it's like a Michael Jordan song. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just that, dude. Uh, I've never seen this. This is amazing. Our, our twins felt like they, Mike Myers and Norm killed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in that same uh, enemy interview, the interviewer asked, any tips for Im- imitating you? And Charlie said, all you need to do is make sure you're sta- I'm standing stage left. The guy with the guitar stays in the left. Craig stays in the right. And you've got it. 
<laughs> but he did say that they got like the the little jig down. Yeah, they have this like little cocky uh, move they make. He said they got they got it down. They, they nailed it. Uh, the song has been in countless TV shows, including Doctor Who, How I Met Your Mother, oh, Grey's Anatomy. Was it on Doctor Who when David Tennant was playing Doctor Who? I actually don't know if it was or not, but he that was like, be I refuse to play Doctor Who circle. unless you play the Proclaimers <laughs> on the show. I mean, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> Uh, Alvin and Chipmunks have a version mm. there. It's in countless commercials, including the, the Bud one. I could have sworn there was a Simpsons reference, but I could not find anything. Oh, that sounds familiar to me, too. Interesting. Doesn't it? Yeah. They were featured in Family Guy, however, Ugh, and the actual band is, is it was in the episode. Really? They came to L.A. to, to record. I'm going to send that to you right now. Yeah, that's them. They're in it. I'm singing. I'm singing. Very family guy. Yeah. Very family guy. It was funny, though. Uh, apparently, 500 Miles is often played ahead of the Scottish national football and rugby yep. teams. It is the, uh, the walk-on song for Scottish darts player Robert Thornton. <laughs> I figured I would, I would mention that. Uh, and then because I didn't really know else, where else to put this um, in the pop culture section, I should note that there is an award-winning play called Sunshine on Leaf, which features all music by the Proclaimers. Really? And it went on to be adapted into a movie by Whoa. Dexter Fletcher, who would go on to direct the biopics for Queen and Elton John. Whoa, really? I got to yeah. see this. This sounds amazing. So the boys were hesitant to to make the play into a movie, uh, but apparently this guy did a bang up job. This looks really good. Yeah, I'm really intrigued. So it's a uh, what they call a jukebox musical. So you'll see they start singing in certain parts, right? And it's all Proclaimers music. This was the moment where I was like, "Holy shit!" The Proclaimers are fucking huge in Scotland and the UK yeah, in general. Like, they really are. I never realized how big they are. Yeah, it's awesome. Speaking of movies, uh, and another song, I mentioned that you, you at least know one other song by then. Uh, the song, I'm On My Way, is prominently featured in Shrek. Oh, yeah, you're right. You do know that Yes, song. yes. Which I don't, I don't think I connected the two as far as, like, fucking miles in, in that song. Yeah. But, uh, um, huge song. Right, yeah. Huge movie, yeah. So where are they now? After, uh, after, like I said, they took the hiatus, they came out with a handful of new songs. Uh, they would go on to release six more albums. I think six more albums after the second version of 500 after Miles. Reunion. So 600, six albums since 2007. All right. Uh, there's one entitled Twins Angry Cyclist, <laughs> which I, I figure you'd appreciate. Their latest album, Dentures Out, was released just two months ago. Excuse me, September it's called what? 2022. <laughs> Dentures Out. The boys are getting old. The boys are getting old. Uh, that was released in 2022, uh, just a couple couple weeks ago in, in September. Uh, they continue to be culturally and politically active in Scotland. They are strong supporters of Scottish independence as well as Welsh independence. Ooh. So they really fucking hate Britain. Yeah, they do. Uh, in that, um, we talked about you know politics earlier, so let's bring back to politics for a hot second. Everyone in loves politics. Same in that same enemy uh, interview. Uh, which I keep referencing because uh, it was so recent. It was the it was an interview 
around this release in September. So uh, this is a semi-relevant question, although you'll understand that it's not as relevant anymore. Uh, but talking of politics, this is the, from the interviewer. You're both prominent Scottish nationalists. Boris Johnson was always seen as an asset to those campaigning for Scottish independence. Owning to his lack of popularity there, will new Prime Minister Liz Trust help or hinder your cause? Now, we all know that Liz Trust is no longer there. She didn't help but here's Charlie's re- Not even around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's, uh, oh. here's Charlie's response. Uh, I think Liz Trust is an apparatchik. She'll be more competent than Boris Johnson, but then the Downing Street cat would have been more competent than Boris Johnson. <laughs> She's an ideologue, and that's going to cause her trouble. And it did. Until the SNP, the Scottish National Party, stop playing by Westminster rules, we're not going to get independence. They need to go back to being an ins- insurgent movement. The SNP have fired all their bullets, and they're going to have to find another gun. Wow. These boys are political. I love it. They, uh, yeah. Are they buddies with Chumawamba? Uh, they probably are. I did think about that many times during this, uh, this research. To bring it a little more lighthearted, yeah. <clears throat> uh, we talked about 500 Miles being played ahead of Scotland games, but the Proclaimer song, Sunshine and Leith, is the anthem for the Hibernian Football Club, known as the Hibs mm-hmm. in Edinburgh, the local football club in Edinburgh. Uh, and so they play the song, uh, I'm going to a quick little clip here, um, the song Sunshine and Leith is played at all their games, it is their anthem. Uh, and it's really fun to see it. Kind of, this is part of the documentary, but you'll see. Uh... Oh, oh, I got goosebumps from everyone seeing it. It's cool, right? Really cool. So, even cooler, in my opinion, the Proclaimers were one of the sponsors of the club's Girls' Academy team just this year. And. Look at Very their jerseys. Cool. Look at these jerseys. I just sent you a picture. Everyone should Google this. But the kits have their proclaimers oh my God. on the front. <laughs> so cool. it's like it's like it's like any other uh uh pro soccer kit where they have a, a logo, a company logo on the front. And it says and the proclaimers. Just the proclaimers <laughs> in like very basic font. <laughs> How cool is that? This is very cool. This is one of the songs that we've covered that there's really, there's no drama. There's nothing terribly on the surface interesting about the song. But it was this moment that I was like, thank God we're covering the song because that is so cool. And I'm so happy to share that with the world. I mean, the song is is peculiar for such a huge hit. I mean, 100% it's, it's we had to cover peculiar. it at some point. But you know, when you when you start digging into a song and you're like, there's no yeah. like drama here. It's just a yeah. great song. And it's a, it's a fun yeah. people. It's good people. Yeah, really seems like it. Our, uh, I mean, our, our our podcast is is focused from the perspective of hits in America, yeah. and for this song to be number three in America and as and as just uh, pervasive as it is even today, uh, it's it's odd. It's it's very Scottish. It has Scottish slang in it that no Americans know what it means. Uh, musically, it's doesn't didn't sound like anything that was going on at the time. It's a wild card for sure, but it makes sense. And also, just the story's been delightful. It's been delightful all around. Yeah, uh, Charlie once said, "My heart is warm." Charlie once said, 
People say they love the song for lots of reasons. It's a marching beat, the stop-start rhythm, the call-and-response mm-hmm. bit. I think it's a bit of everything. I think it's a good way to like encapsulate it. Uh, and I, I think even like 90s, late 80s, 90s, like the, the behind the scenes of the music industry progression-wise is is very like <clears throat> just pretty basic. I mean, it's a uh, yeah. A band makes great, authentic music. Important music people notice the song, sign the band. They do the right marketing tactics. Fans become interested in great, authentic music, and song gets in a movie, and you're off to the races. I mean, like, it's yeah. a great formula. It's a great song. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of answers the question of why this became popular. And, and you know, I like to. Yeah. I like, and that seems like the band was just game for anything too. That helps. Hundred percent. 100%. So, you know, I like to, I like to they end. They were like, yeah, cool. We'll do it. Yeah. And that they, they give a ton of credit to the song for like allowing them to continue to make music and, and do what they love to do and continue to move the message of, of, you know, different messages they want to send, including Scottish independence. Um, I read some interview yeah. where they said that, uh, the song has made them five times more money than every other song combined. And probably true. Sure. Probably more so, maybe. Uh, but I like to end all of, our, all of our episodes with great little anecdotes and quotes that I find um, and I, I will start with this Mike do you know if you add up all the 500 miles in the song all the mentions of 500 miles do you know how many miles are mentioned in total <laughs> uh, so they say 500 miles four or five times in every chorus there's probably three choruses in the song, and let's say twelve thousand miles. Okay, so I actually didn't fact check this, uh, but in the interview that this question was poised to the band, they said, "I don't know, eight to nine thousand miles." It's actually, according to the interviewer, four thousand miles. I should. I should double check that. Um, But to that point, Charlie said, well, keep the song brief. Cut down the number of miles, and it was a huge hit. The secret to success is it's got to have a driving beat and get sung in karaoke bars in Vietnam and China. Even if you're not a native English speaker, you can sing it quite easily. Which is a great uh, way to sum up the song. That's definitely true, yeah. But I also love that he was like, yeah, cut, cut the miles down. Make it short. Make it sweet. Uh, I've never done this karaoke, but I probably will soon. This, yeah, it's a great I karaoke. I never thought one. of it. Great karaoke song. Uh, from the BBC doc, it was really great hearing, especially the, the Scottish folks who were interviewed uh, in, in the documentary. And I, I rec- everyone should Google it. It's on YouTube. Um, but it was really fun to hear them talk about the band and their legacy. One said, legends, utter legends. Another said, their true value isn't going to be understood till they're gone. Then people will look back at their body of work, which is incomparable, and say, oh, incomparable. I'm convinced my grandkids will be saying, oh, my God, did you see them live? And lastly, one of the comedians who we talked about earlier from Comic Relief, Matt Lucas, had a quote in the documentary that I think is really great to end on. He said, the whole thing about the Proclaimers is the truth. They look in real life as they look on stage. They sound in real life as they sound on stage. It's unfettered. It's been, it hasn't been tempered with what you see is what you get, and people respond to that. And that is the Proclaimers. That's 
That's wonderful. I need to know how many miles they cover in the yeah, song. Well, well, maybe we'll mailbag that if I'm wrong. Uh, well, I'm on it now. Uh, what I didn't realize is that they don't say 500 miles three or four times in the chorus. They say 500 miles twice, and they say 1,000 miles. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa then. So the, the question, I guess, the point is that it's 500, not right. all miles. So, so that's 2,000 miles, 2,000 miles... Two thousand miles. Oh, so it's definitely more than. It's eight. It's eight thousand miles. Oh, fucking citations. Closer to mine for sure. Well, close. but maybe they're only counting the five hundred miles, and not when he says, "I'll be the man who rolls a thousand miles to your door." Well, if they're not, so, do they only mention five hundred then eight times? Because I guess the question was poised that way. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight. Yes, yeah. but then they say thousand, one, two, three, four times. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, maybe there's confusion in the interview question. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review. But only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at ywahpod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.